On today's Locked On Texan podcast, John Crumpler of the Texan Wire joins the show. Why? To discuss the quarterback room and Nick Casario heading into year three. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to a hump day episode of the Locked On Texan Podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Shout out to everybody who listens or watches the show Monday through Friday, whenever we post. If you are new to the Locked On Texan Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and comment to the Locked On Texan Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast and YouTube as well. I am your Texan football analyst, John, some sports guy Hickman. Of course, I'm joined by Texan beat reporter and Sports Illustrated's own Cody Davis, but we have one of my favorite people in the world of talk, text, all things Texan wit, my man, John Crumpler of the Texan Wire. Welcome back to the show. John, Cody, thank you for having me on. I got to say, I love the, I don't know if the intro is new, but that's fun. You got some real production (laughs) value going on here now. Yeah, man, I got to, I got to eventually step away from the Locked On Texan podcast and go find a way that I can be a host for some, from some comedy show or i can bring in anybody in the world all i need to know is your name and what do you do but we know what you do very much involved in terms of the quality content that's been put out for the houston texas over at the texan wire so make sure you guys go watch and when i watch but read all of his texan articles at the texanwire.com the thing that i love about john crumpley is there's always more to it with john like john takes an opportunity to kind of just, hmm, well, let's dive a little bit more into it in terms of his articles, in terms of our conversations on Twitter, off Twitter, via text. So what I want to open up today, show the most interesting storyline has been for you this offseason regarding the Texans and why. That is a great question. The most interesting story. I think it has I think it has to be the wide receiver room, right? I think mm-hmm. it's the one piece of this team. Um, I mean, if, if you start on the defensive side of the ball, I think the picture is very clear there. You've got, I think we know the four guys who are gonna start. I think we know what the defensive back room looks like. Could that be could be one of the best units in football? I think the linebackers will see, but they're not really an engine of why that defense will be good or great. You go over to the offense, we know the offensive line's good. I think we know C.J. Stroud's going to open week one. I think we know Damian Pierce, he really flashed last season. It's going to be a scheme that takes advantage of what I think he does really well. And the one big question remains, okay, how are we passing the ball? So I think the most interesting story of the offseason is who is getting reps right now in practice, whether well, that was OTAs or when we're getting ready for training camp next month. And it sounds like a group is kind of emerging of it looks like Nico Collins and Robert Woods are going to be those two guys. But who's the third guy going to be? What do they have in mind for Tank Dell? What is John Mechie going to be when he gets back? Who, who's going to get make that fifth spot or do they carry six wide receivers? That's what I kind of think has been the most interesting storyline of the Texans, because I think that limits their ceiling. Can they be a six win team or can they be a nine win team um, if they can mm-hmm. threaten defenses vertically? 
John, I do want to ask you about the quarterback room, but I do want to talk about the wide receiving core just one last time because, you know, you just mentioned a name, John Mechie, and here on this show, I've been preaching, you know, lower your expectations for John Mechie because, you know, he's been through a lot over the last two years. But, John, what do you think would be a realistic expectation for John coming into his official rookie campaign? I think that's like, are we talking about numbers or I, I might just talk about just, role. just role overall fair. production. I, I think for John Mechie and I agree, I think everyone's got to slow down. This is a guy who not only taken a long break from football before last season, but now is coming off of um, this battle with cancer and everything that involves, which is just such a, a difficult process for the body from the medications to how it really prevents you from working out the way you'd want to as a professional athlete. And, I'm thinking about writing a story of what athletes first season have looked like after that. But for John Mechie, I think um, I think a realistic goal is by the end of the season, is he a starting slot receiver or a starting perimeter receiver for the Texans at that point? Is he seeing consistent, maybe over 50 percent of the, of the passing snaps? Because if he is, that says, OK, he's a talented guy. He cracked the rotation. I don't think there are studs in front of him, but I also don't think there's anyone that is. Um, I, I think they're guys that he should be beating at the same time. So, you know, if he is getting into that consistently on passing downs, if he's carved out a role where you're maybe you're there on third and six and you say, OK, look for the ball to go to Mechie here, then he's established a role on the offense. I, I don't know if the big time production would come until a year later, just because I do think it's going to be an uphill battle for him to get back into the football shape that he wants back into um, just kind of a comfort level playing the game, whether that's comfort within the surrounding offense or just comfort with how he's executing that. Um, but I, I think it's just seeing at the end of the season, is he an impact player weeks 15, 16, 17 that you're thinking about and having the game plan for for the Texans? You got John Hickman opening up for John Crumpler, who's talking about John Mechie. It's a lot, a lot of John. John's, a lot of John's going on. I do want to move over to the defensive side of the ball. One thing that you mentioned. The back four or five may be the best, a top unit in the NFL, right? Looking at the the Jalen Petrie rookie year, looking at the addition of Jimmy Ward, looking at how good and versatile uh, Desmond King is. But the one guy that I think the entire league is ready to see thrive, especially under D'Amico Ryans, is Derek Stingley. So we talk about realistic expectations for John Mechie, realistic expectations for the wide receiver group. I think that the realistic expectations for Derek Stingley should be rightfully so very high because he's came, he came into camp looking a whole lot bigger in terms of physically not out of shape, physically in shape. And I think that what we able, what we were able to see out of the 49ers last year compared to the issues that we were able to see out of this Tampa 2 cover 2 Levy Smith defense, those things won't hold him back. And now he's in a situation where he will thrive. Will this be a Pro Bowl year for Derek Stingley? Or will Derek Stingley, this which which is probably more, you know, a question I should ask, will Derek Stingley quiet the naysayers because it's been a lot of them yeah and i'm i think the naysayers of course and it's so unfortunate for stingley but this conversation always seems to start with the sauce gardener comparison that is that is where the naysayers come from and last year obviously 
Sauce was an all pro in Robert Sala's scheme. Sala, the predecessor to Ryan's, I think Ryan's took what Sala did really well with some of the cover three stuff and kind of blended it um, a little, a little more creativity on the fronts and also diversified some of the coverage looks that made San Francisco uh, the best defense in the NFL the past two seasons. I think expectations for Stingley can be pretty high, John, for all the reasons that you said. He is um, he's coming off looking like a second year NFL player, someone that hasn't had to go to class. He's getting to spend all of his time working to be a professional corner, getting to work on his body. This is a scheme that I think is going to allow him to play physical, going to get to kind of play towards that ball hawk that we saw and let him kind of go at receivers more so than stick to this area of the field. I don't think a Pro Bowl would be unreasonable, especially in a day and age where maybe this is cheating a little bit, where uh, people drop out of the Pro Bowl all the time. I think Stingley has the caliber of talent to get there. And if it's not on the first ballot, I think you should expect him to at least see someone who is going to be there. And this is what I tell people. I mean, it's going to be hard to ever be an all-pro at that position. That's a very difficult position to be an all-pro at. They take two corners and a league with 32 teams, 64 starting perimeter corners. Very hard. Can, do I think Stingley can make it a conversation of could he be doing the same thing on a more talented deep? I'm like, because it's still, I, don't, I still don't think we are where the Jets are in terms of overall talent. So do I think he can really narrow that gap this season? Absolutely. And I'm excited to see what he does in a defense that works to confuse quarterbacks. I think it's going to be a much more difficult picture to discern. You talked about adding Jimmy Ward. And this is this is kind of going on a tangent now, but I'm just excited to see the looks that you can give opposing quarterbacks with Petrie and Ward as your two safeties. It's going to be very difficult to know pre-snap what um, what the coverage looks like. And if you create that hesitation, that confusion, I think then when you have a corner as talented as Stingley, that creates the, the the window for him to capitalize and create the kind of game-changing plays that I think we all we saw glimpses of last season from him. John began this segment talking about interesting storylines, and one of the top storylines surrounding this organization is the Houston Texans quarterback room. Um, you have a promising young rookie in C.J. Stroud. Of course, you got third-year prospect in Davis Mills. Remember, at the start of OTAs, we was told by Coach D'Amico Ryans that it was going to be a quarterback competition, which we shouldn't be surprised by that. But, John, I do want to ask you, what are some of your what is your outlook on CJ Stroud heading into training camp? And two, and most importantly, where do you think might be best case scenario for Davis Mills? Because I look at it from a standpoint of the way they have been putting him out there, taking first team reps or splitting first team reps with CJ Stroud. Pretty sure we're going to see majority of that at least during the first half of training camp, but at some point. I would not be surprised if the Houston Texans would try to explore the trade market to see if they could get something back in return for Davis Mills because Tampa Bay looked like they're going to have a terrible quarterback situation. And as right yeah. now, given Jimmy G's health, um, that might be another possible suitor for Davis Mills as well. If we go back a year ago, Lovey Smith, there was no quarterback competition, even though I think mm-hmm. Davis Mills started six, six games, seven games. From the onset, it was Davis is our guy. Davis was a team captain. They brought in no quarterbacks last year in free agency that could be not Kyle Allen, even perceived (laughs) as top 50 guys in the league. They said, this is our guy. And, you know, I thought that was an interesting strategy going in with a second year quarterback who hadn't played a lot of games, but I understood it because the best gamble was to see what Davis had. 
And I, I do like the pivot from Ryan's in a lot of ways to say, I want a culture of competition here. Like genuinely nothing is earned, but at the same time, let's start with Stroud. Like you said, Cody, I think Stroud is at a different caliber of player than Davis Mills from what he's shown us at the college level, from the way people are talking about him at practice. My understanding is um, even if he's not blowing the doors off, he looks as advertised as this is a guy that you understand very clearly watching him, why he was picked in the top five at second overall. Um, I kind of wish they would go ahead and name Stroud the starter because, I mean, the the Texans season success, I mean, obviously football is a team sport, but they're going to go as far as Stroud goes. If Stroud Mm -hmm. can protect the ball, I mean, let's just talk about a minimum. If he can just protect the ball and you have plus plays, that puts a defense that I think could be like top 14 in like like EPA. Like I I think D'Amico Ryan's defense could be very good. I'm, I'm pretty bullish on that unit. We can talk about that another time, but if you, if he does that, if he's just like the 20th, the 21st best quarterback in the league and he's not making mistakes, that team can win some games, maybe even win some games that right now we don't think they're supposed to win. Um, and the only way you're going to find out how to do that is by watching C.J. Stroud. What are his strengths? What are the concepts that he's very good at reading? How how can you call games around what he's very good at and what he's not good at, even if you want to do that coming from Shanahan's scheme? What needs to be built in as the season progresses to be – more of the full expansive play because for now I think you have to see what he's good at and get ready to try to win games immediately and I I think Stroud's talent's worth gambling with then you turn to Davis Mills Um, something I think about that John you talked about the idea of will they trade him Um, during the draft there was a lot of talk about I think I called it Trey Lance PTSD from all these 49ers guys about Hmm. the idea of would they draft Anthony Richardson? And, you know, you, you are the summation of your experiences. So looking at other things from San Francisco, they lost an extraordinary amount of quarterbacks last year. I mean, almost unbelievable. Um, And it's to the point where you can say pretty fairly, would that ever happen again? I don't think so. I wouldn't expect to ever see, two starting quarterbacks go down in the same season with season ending injuries. But I wonder if they say, Hey, Davis is a really talented guy. He is cheap. There's no salary cap advantage to trading or cutting Davis mills. Um, He's really competitive. He's going to push CJ. I mean, for as bad as Davis was last year, this is still someone who was the number one quarterback prospect um, in the country in high school. He is a, we know he's physically very talented. I think we've seen his flash plays look fantastic. It's part of why um, some people in the fan base on Twitter wanted to cling so desperately to Davis because he's capable of those flashes. So I, I think they'll keep him, but at the same time and in, in, with the same breath of keeping him, he doesn't know this system. This isn't Tom Savage. This is two guys on an equal playing field. And I think Stroud's your future. You signal down the draft. I think Stroud's the better talent. And I'm hoping that they start to go towards him sooner rather than later for the benefit of how are we going to call games? How are we building chemistry? Where is he comfortable? Um, because we don't have our first round pick next year. It's, it's time to win the idea. of I mean, you don't want to rush the process, but at the same time, I don't think you're, you're wanting to watch Stroud, um, take a lot of lumps his rookie year. I think you'd like to streamline that as much as possible because there there's no benefit at all to losing this upcoming season. We've talked about on the field. We've talked about D'Amico Ryans. We've talked about Davis Mills and C.J. Stroud. We've talked about a lot of the players, but now we got to talk about Nick Casario, so don't go anywhere. More John Crumpley here on the Locked on Texan podcast. 
Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, Locked On Texan listeners and viewers. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets back. Win or lose, that's $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to first Hit the home run, hit the home run first. All on an app that's safe, secure, and easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. Ain't no waiting around. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Welcome back in, Locked On Texan listeners and viewers. Thank you for sticking around to this Wednesday episode of the Locked On Texan podcast. Again, we do have John Crumpler on today's show. This is always fun when we can get outside opinions. And one day, John, I would love for us to just live stream and and just talk Texan football as you know unfiltered as possible. Not not too mm-hmm. crazy, of course. But you you tell me when that'll be fun. We got to get that in, man. But we, let's take a look over at the front office, right? Nick Casario, year three. Uh, we know the, the background and the history since he's arrived. The firings, the the, the Jack Easterbys, the David Cullies, the Lovey Smith. The, we want a receiver. We sign a receiver. We cut a receiver. We want a receiver. We sign a receiver. We cut a receiver. We don't use the running backs. We love Rex Burkhead. This are you know this move was questionable. Why did you trade back? Did you overdraft in a sense? Mm-hmm. A lot that's been going on since Nick Casario's arrival. And rightfully so, you know, the, the, the critics have made their points and a lot of those points are valid. But when we look at year three for Nick Casario, what does that look like? Year three, that, well, that's a great question. Are we asking year three in terms of what does the team need to do for it to be a success for him? Or are we asking what is his job becoming with C.J. Stroud? Or- I, I would say – what the outcome that we can consider successful, what what outcome would be considered successful for Nick Casario, who in the last two years, seven wins, one tie, and a lot of bad decisions. Some good I mean, decisions, plenty. some bad decisions. I mean, you talk about critics. I, I think I would definitely go in that category of those who've been critical of Nick Casario. Um, and my critique has always been with Nick that, I don't think you're doing anything that the average football fan couldn't do. I think you made the draft picks when you had them. I I think that you signed a bunch of inconsequential free agents signing, largely veterans, which was an interesting strategy. Uh, But this year, it looks like Casario's Texans have committed to being something meaningful other than, um, you know, making it easy for people who power rank the teams so you can put them into that 30, 31, 32 spot. Uh, He did their one-year deals, but I think they went out and signed – free agents to pretty in some pretty meaningful numbers that are going to have big roles in this offense. I think Sheldon Rankin's going to have responsibility for eating up two blockers on first and second downs. A big part of stopping the run that D'Amico Ryans has talked about. I think a guy like Dalton Schultz is going to be instrumental in making CJ Stroud feel comfortable in second and third down. And then, you know, the easy pick that it has been since the season it was taking CJ Stroud second overall, but then, Nick finally did something he didn't have to do. He had to spend the cap space, but he traded for Will Anderson. He traded his own first-round pick at that. Um, Does that play into how we view Nick Casario at the end of the year? And that's a great – and that's why I I do think the expectations are heightened a little bit for this team. 
that feels like, I mean, the way everyone has preached about the Will Anderson trade, it feels like that was the guy they knew they needed the quarterback, but they couldn't leave the draft without Will after talking to him during the pre-draft. They fell in mm-hmm. love, which a lot of people would say that is a that is a sin in the pre-draft process. It's the one thing you cannot do is fall in love with guys, but they did. Um, I, I don't think it'll affect um, how he's perceived this year, but I do think it's time for this team to start winning. This is head coach number three. This is, hey, you actually, instead of, pulling draft capital back like the Deshaun Watson trade, you, you brought it forward to get players on the team. Now um, he traded up for almost all of his picks in this year's past drafts. And frankly, most of the last three drafts, he, he likes to trade up even if it's just three or four spots like Nick Casario. These are your guys. Um, you said seven wins over the past two seasons. Uh, I think hitting that mark in this season alone would be kind of the expectation for what does success look like? And maybe a six win campaign with major showings from Stroud uh, would be also considered a success. But I think you have to see those four first round picks over the last two years. I think CJ Stroud, Will Anderson, Derek Stingley, and the big if Kenyon Green, they need to look like good football players, especially the Kenyon Green pick. I think in hindsight is one that, I mean, it was a disaster last year. It was nothing short of a disaster. I mean, statistically, one of the worst guards in the league last season. That needs to at least come up to average, and I think you need those other three guys to really be studs this year. Um, I think a six or seven win campaign where you're not giving – if you're giving a top five pick to Arizona, uh, I think Nick Casario could lose his job still. As much as everyone likes to talk about this offseason, I think – if you handed over a top five pick and those guys don't look the way that you expected them to. I also think the stage, and this will be interesting. I love y'all opinion. I think the stage might be set that we could see a more of, I think it would probably be labeled as a transitioning role for Nick Casario more so than a firing, but I thought it was interesting. He was given the, the title of executive vice president this week, um, especially amidst rumors of an organizational reshuffling earlier this offseason. Yeah. So, I, 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 and I'm going to give it to Cody. I, I, one, number one, I do think Nick Casario has a lot tied to, just like any other GM, a lot tied to whether or not we can consider a season or a 10 year successful. Uh, I don't want to count year one against him. I don't. I agree. Year one was terrible. Year two, you saw a lot of bad decisions from him personally. From a GM standpoint, you also look at the organization was still in shambles, right? You saw the organization as a whole get better since January. You see a more active Kyle McNair, uh, more active and input role with Hannah McNair. So you see the organization changes and you look at Nick Casario and he's coming in. I think this offseason did some good things. Dalton Schultz, Jimmy Ward, uh, Sheldon Rankins. But overall, he is tied to Kenyon Green. He will be tied to trading up for Nico Collins. And in hindsight, St. Brown could have been a Texan. He will be tied to trading up for John Mechie. He will be tied to trading up for Tank Dip. He will be tied to last season. How many times did you bring in a wide receiver? And they didn't get any opportunity on a very thin wide receiver group. So he's tied to a lot. And I think this is the year a lot of those ties either has to work out or I'm sorry, we got to move on from it. And when you look at him getting that promotion, it does make one think, hmm, is this the Texans way of saying we really do like you and you did serve a purpose for us. Mm -hmm. So we want to keep you around in a sense because of what you've done. But if these things don't work out, 
we will prepare to move on from you and have somebody fill your spot. John, um, before moving on, I do want to ask you this question because we talked a lot about Nick Casario's decision, but I think there's one major decision that, in my opinion, he has to get done before training camp. We have seen him extend um, Larry Tunsil. We have seen him extend Malik Collins. And right now there's two guys that's in the running for an extension, which I think one mm-hmm. of them is Steven Nelson has already messed up that possibility. But John, I, I also talked, I also seen you talk about this on Twitter. I saw you wrote about this several times on the Texans wire. How important will it be for Nick Casario to extend Titus Howard before at least the start of training camp? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it has to be a top priority for the team assuming they're interested and that that's in it. I think he's a very talented player, mm-hmm. but if you look right now, I think the Texans are spending 28% of their salary cap on their starting offensive, on their offensive line group. And that number would go up if you re-sign Howard. I, I've been trying to look at this, the historical data for how much teams of rookie quarterbacks have ever allocated to the offensive line. Um, and I, I don't have an answer for that right now, but it would be an absolutely enormous investment. I think the risk if you know you like him and you're going to want to keep him, do it now because he will get over $20 million per year as a free agent if you allow him to make it to next offseason. Um, so I, I hope they're doing strong internal evaluations on the Titus High. Like, is he going to be equally effective in this scheme? Uh, but he's been a great player the last two years. My, my stance has been on principle the Texans are not talented enough to let Titus Howard walk at this point. I think he's mm-hmm. too – He's too good. He is a B-plus player at that position. And when we're talking about having to develop a quarterback, especially when there's already a degree of uncertainty in Stroud's continuity that you have a defensive head coach. If Bobby Slowick's awesome, which we all hope he is, he's going to be gone, which is like it's the worst part of this whole thing. It's like I, I want him to be great, but am I afraid if he's that great, you know he's going to be getting head coaching interviews. All of these offensive guys do, especially – um, from that Shanahan tree. So if you can create continuity just by the fact that he's going to have protection, I think that kind of lends itself that if Stroud's talented and your line's good, that's going to, I mean, you can kind of trust that different schemes will still fit that. Um, they just have to decide if they're willing to spend that much money on their offensive line. And what 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 does D'Amico Ryans and his staff kind of believe are the most important parts of winning? And I think up front is a good place to invest if you're going to do it. Um, I'd like to see them do that for sure. JC, John Crumpler of the Texan Wire. Before we close it out, man, where can everybody find you on social media? And, you know, we made the joke yesterday. I don't know how much longer we have left on Twitter, on Twitter. but where can everybody find you, you, yeah, know, you so personally and your work? I'm now having to plug. I am on Instagram. I'm new to Instagram. <laughs> I'm at Texans Doc on Instagram. I'm going back to the, the old username and, We'll see if Meta's competitor Threads takes off. I'm I'm interested to see if people jump on that. But on Twitter, you can find all my work there. I'm I'm rambling about the team a good bit on Twitter at John H. Crumpler. And you can read all my work at the Texans Wire, TexansWire.usatoday.com. Fellas, thank you so much for having me on this fourth of July. I love ranting about this team. And hmm. I, I think it's gonna be a, a very fun season, whether it is in a great way or a not so great way. Welcome back in Locked on Texan listeners and viewers. Thank you guys for sticking around for today's show. And shout out to John Crumpler for taking some time out to join us. We talked about last week 
Um, Steven Nelson, the dysfunction that he has going on with the Houston Texans uh, front office. And my man, George Anderson, 198198 says, Steven Nelson, 30 years old, 15, going on 15. Childish ass, <laughs> find the door. Cody, you know, I think Steven Nelson just saw last year as an opportunity to look at how things have been operating for the Texans before him, during him, and after him. Saw players get those extensions, and I think he may feel like that I should also be a part of that boat. And and from there, it's just downhill since. And, you know, for Houston, they've done a lot of addressing of needs. They've done a lot of overreaching. But Nick Asirio, outside of Rex Burkhead, how many bad extensions has he signed? That's a good question. I, the only other person I could think of is Brandon Cooks, maybe. But that was during the time when Brandon Cooks was brought in. You know, he was still bought in with the rebuild of the team. Now, of course, a couple months later, especially after fire after the firing of Jack Easterby, you know, things kind of went down to the to the side or whatever you want to call it. But um, I don't really think I think all the guys who gotten extensions, you look at Malik Collins, you look at Larry Thompson. We literally just talked about this in the last segment. Um, there was all in a position to where Nick Casario actually had saw value in keeping those guys around. And that's not saying that there's no value in keeping Steven Nelson, because every time we talk about this young man, I always say, I agree with him wanting his money. He was arguably the best cornerback for the Houston Texans last year, given everything that Derrick Stingley had to go through. However, it's just the way he went about things. And he has just now hired an agent who is David Maldegetta. Of course, we already know about that guy here in the city of Houston. So, but with him going this long without an agent, we already know that he is a guy that kind of beats to his own drum. Um, but it, and and I keep going back to this, all of this really did not start until the signing of Shaq Griffin. Yeah, it did not. Jarrell Scott, we're talking about David Monaghetta. Jarrell Scott, 5203, wonders if we should be worried, should the Texan fan base uh, should they be worried that David Monaghetta is also an agent of C.J. Stroud? He's one of his clients. Should they be worried, Cody? No, because C.J. Stroud is entering this franchise under a brand-new coach that has literally changed the fortune and changed the direction of this organization. Um, this isn't a team that is being ran by Bill O'Brien, who is the general manager. This isn't a team that still has Jack Easterby lurking around. Yeah, we know what happened with Davis' last client that the city once loved, and I'm keeping it on the field and with this organization. When you take a look at how bad everything just fell apart, there's several people, including myself, that kind of didn't mind Deshaun Watson requesting a, requesting a trade at the time because this organization was a pure mess. And I can understand why David wanted a better situation for his client, who was at that time a top five, top three quarterback in the league. However, in terms of C.J. Stroud, like I mentioned here on this show and what I was able to see as of right now during regular practices, OTAs, mandatory mini camp, everything leading up to training camp, that this is an organization that is going to be on the right path. And I think 
the direction of this team with ownership taking more so of a lead with coach D'Amico Ryan's as your coach, the coaching staff, the players that they're building around. I think this franchise is going to have an opportunity to reach new heights and it's going to keep CJ and David Mutter together in good terms with the Houston Texans. Plus David and Nick Casario both said that they have respect for one another and everything, when you go back and you take a look at everything that happened with Deshaun and the trade request and everything, majority of all of that came before Nick Casario was even hired. Nick Casario just had the unfortunate pleasure of being the one to walk into the mess. So I don't think as of right now, that's that's something we need to worry about. However, hopefully we don't have, we don't have to revisit this conversation in the next, what, five years. Hopefully, man. Thank you guys for checking out today's episode of the Locked On Texan podcast. The rest of the comments on that podcast was full of get rid of him, get rid of him. <laughs> Who do he think he is? And I know I understand why Texan fans feel that way, but make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Locked On Texans. Like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Texan podcast on YouTube as well. And as always, I'm your host, Cody M. Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y, D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace.